0: Section 6 of Harper's Young People, Volume 1, Issue 26, April twenty-seventh, 1880. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Michelle Hanna. Harper's Young People, Volume 1, Issue 26, April 27, 1880. The Story of George Washington by Edward C. Carey, Chapter 3. Washington spent about nine months with the army around Boston. Several times he was ready to attack the British and to try and drive them from the city. But his officers were afraid the army was not strong enough, so Washington had to wait and watch. He had a good deal of waiting and watching to do all through the war, for that matter. At last, in March 1776, the Americans around Boston, having gradually pushed closer and closer The British found that they must either leave or fight. Their general did not feel strong enough to fight, so he put his men on ships and sailed away to Halifax. Of course, the Americans were greatly rejoiced. Washington got much praise and deserved it, for he had shown great good judgment and skill in his management of the army. Washington knew that the British would soon come back and thought they would come to New York. So he took nearly all his army and marched them westward to that city. Early in July, the British came, as Washington had expected, and made their camp on the beautiful hillsides of Staten Island. They brought with them what they called propositions for peace. These were simply offers to pardon the Americans for resisting the British tax laws, if they would now obey them. But this would only have left things exactly as they were in the beginning. It came too late. The Americans had already made up their minds that they would not obey the British laws which taxed them, nor any laws of Great Britain, but that in the future they would make their own laws in such manner as seemed to them most just. This purpose was written out in a long paper called the Declaration of Independence and was signed on the 4th of July, 1776, by the members of Congress. General Washington caused the Declaration of Independence to be read to his soldiers, now, he said to them, the peace and safety of our country depend, under God, solely on the success of our arms. And he appealed to every officer and soldier to act with fidelity and courage. The year 1776 was a very gloomy one. All efforts to hold New York failed. A hard battle was fought around Brooklyn, August twenty seventh, and the Americans were badly beaten. Washington had to give up New York and content himself with trying to keep the British from going to Philadelphia. Late in the fall, he got across the Delaware River, with the British close on his heels. Soon, the river filled with ice, as the cold weather came on and the two armies lay one on one side and the other on the other. The American troops had dwindled away until there were only about 3,000 of them. Washington resolved that something must be done to raise the spirits of the country, or the people would lose all hope of resisting the British with success. At Trenton, on the opposite side from his own army, lay a force of Hessians, who were German soldiers hired by Great Britain to come to America to fight, and Washington formed the plan of capturing them. On Christmas Eve, 1776, he crossed the Delaware with 2,400 men, The night was bitterly cold, a pelting hailstorm was falling, ice in great blocks was running down the stream and hindering the boats, so that the army did not get across until four o'clock in the morning. Then the soldiers formed in ranks in the darkness and began dividing into two parties, started for Trenton nine miles below. Washington led one of the parties and General Sullivan the other. As they plodded along through the hail and snow, Some of the men, exhausted, fell by the roadside, and of those, two froze to death before they could be rescued. As the men under Washington reached Trenton and began to capture the Hessian soldiers set as sentinels to watch the road, they heard firing on the other side of the town and knew that Sullivan's men had come up. Then both parties rushed swiftly toward the center of the town, and with very little bloodshed, a thousand prisoners were taken. This was a great success of itself and had the effect which Washington had hoped for. It gave the whole country new courage. Washington then started back toward New York, and so rapid was his march that the British commander became frightened lest the Americans should retake the city, and he too went quickly back and gave up all thought of reaching Philadelphia that year. To be continued A Disobedient Soldier by david care now lads that's the battery remember the emperor himself is watching you and carry it in true french style the moment you get into it make yourself fast against attack and mind that any man who comes out again to pick up the wounded even though i myself should be among them shall be tried for disobedience as soon as the battle's over so spoke Colonel Salle to his French grenadiers just before the final charge that decided the Battle of Wagram. Then he waved his sword and shouted: En avant! Forward swept the grenadiers like a torrent, with the shout which the Austrians opposed to them already knew to their cost. Through blinding smoke and pelting shot they rushed headlong on, with mouths parched, faces burning, and teeth set like a vice. Ever and anon, a red flash rent the murky cloud around them, and the cannon shot came tearing through their ranks, mowing them down like grass. But not a man flinched, for the same thought was in every mind, that they were fighting under the eye of their little corporal, as they affectionately called the terrible Napoleon. Suddenly the smoke parted, and right in front of them appeared the dark muzzles of cannon and the white uniforms of Austrian soldiers. One last shout, which rose high above all the roar of the battle. The bayonets went glittering over the breastwork like the spray of a breaking wave, and the battery was won. Where's the colonel? cried a voice suddenly. There was no answer. The handful of men that remained of the doomed band looked meaningly at each other, but no one spoke. Strict disciplinarian as he was, seldom passing a day without punishing someone the old colonel had nevertheless won his men's hearts completely by his reckless courage in battle, and every man in the regiment would gladly have risked his life to save that of the old growler, as they called him. But if he were not with them, where was he? Outside the battery the whole ground was scourged into flying jets of dust by a storm of bullets from the fight that was still raging on the left. In such a crossfire, it seemed as if nothing living could escape and if he had fallen there, there was but little hope for him. I see him, cried a tall grenadier. He's lying out yonder, and alive too, for I saw him wave his hand just now. I'll have him here in five minutes, boys, or be left there besides him. But you mustn't disobey orders, Du Bois, said a young captain, now the oldest surviving officer, so terrible had been the havoc hoping by this means to stop the reckless man from rushing upon certain death. Remember what the colonel told you, that even if he were left among the wounded, no one must go out to pick them up. I can't help it, answered the soldier, laying down his musket and tightening the straps of his crossbelts. Captain, report Private Du Bois for insubordination and breach of discipline. I'm going out to bring in the colonel and he stepped forth unflinchingly into the deadly space beyond. They saw him approach the spot where the colonel lay. They saw him bend over the fallen man, shielding him from the shot with his own body. Then he was seen to stagger suddenly, as if from a blow. But the next moment he had the colonel in his arms, and was struggling back over the shot-torn ground, through the dying and the dead. Twice he stopped short, as if unable to go farther. But on he came again, and had just laid his officer gently down inside the battery, when, with his comrade's shouts of welcome still ringing in his ears, he fell fainting to the earth, covered with blood. By the next morning, Colonel LaSalle had recovered sufficiently to amaze the whole regiment by putting under arrest the man who had saved his life. But the moment it was done, the colonel mounted his horse and rode off to headquarters at full gallop. In about an hour, he was seen coming back again, side by side with a short, square-built man in a gray coat and cocked hat, at sight of whom the soldiers burst into deafening cheers, for he was no other than the Emperor Napoleon. "'Let me see this fellow,' said Napoleon sternly, and two grenadiers led forward Pierre de Bois, so weak from his wounds that he could hardly stand. "'So, fellow, thou hast dared to disobey orders, eh?' cried the emperor in his harshest tones. I have, sire, and if it were to be done again, I'd do it. And what if we were to shoot thee for insubordination? My life is your majesty's, now as always, answered the grenadier boldly. And if I must choose between dying myself and leaving my colonel to die, the old regiment can better spare a common fellow like me than a brave officer like him. A sudden spasm shook the old colonel's iron face as he listened, and even Napoleon's stern gray eyes softened, as few men had ever seen them soften yet. Thou twert wrong there, said he, for I would not give a common fellow of thy sort for twenty colonels, were every one of them as good as my old La Salle here. Take this, Sergeant Du Bois and he fastened his own cross of the Legion of Honor to Pierre's breast. I warrant me, thou'lt be a colonel thyself one of these days. And sure enough, five years later, Pierre de Bois was not only a colonel, but a general. End of chapter 6